0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Before we moved into the warehouse and expanded to multiple campus locations, Rolling Hills met in a movie theater. And now we're visiting the movies once again in our series, At the Movies. Whether it be a hero's journey, a villain's downfall, or a fairy tale ending, everyone loves a movie with a good story. But every good story borrows from God's story. In this series, we're looking at five different movies to see how we can find faith stories in film. Now let's tune in.
1: Before we get too far, I, do, I feel like we need to uh, kind of um, recognize the elephant in the room. If we don't, then nobody else will be able to pay attention as we go through. Uh, the true national treasure uh, this morning uh, is, is actually, do we have a picture of this? Uh, the, is Nick Cage, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, we can't. If we don't, if we don't identify, then nobody will be able to pay attention. We understand true national treasure. I mean, he is the preeminent actor of our time. Uh, So, just take a moment. Yeah. All right. Now, moving on. Uh, Romans chapter twelve. If you want to grab your Bibles, uh, or uh, if you're looking at a phone and you're going to use an app on there, Romans chapter 12, we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but this, it, we, we're we in this series, I know many of you have been around for uh, the past couple weeks to, to be a part of this and um, know that like this is, we're just having a good time, right? Uh, if we're having a good time just kind of in, in some of the reasons why we're doing this series is just kind of a nod and uh, have a good time with the reality that Rolling Hills started in a theater, that's where we kind of got our start. And so uh, we, we just wanted to kind of go back to that and have a good Time with those things, but more than that, uh, kind of a second reason as we celebrate our 20 years over the next several months. This gives us a time just to kind of recalibrate and 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 remind ourselves of the core purposes of the church. Right, and kind of those things that have been established as what the church exists for. And and we talked about evangelism, discipleship, and fellowship, worship that we'll talk about today, and then ministry that we'll go to next week. And and third, Jesus used parables. Another reason why we're doing this series, because Jesus used parables. He used stories to be able to illuminate and kind of tell us, tell the, the point of a story and to kind of help people understand what he was teaching about. And we can, in the same way, I don't want to say that movies like National Treasure is a parable, it's not. Right? I don't think we'd go down that line. But I, I do think that we can use stories to teach us something, to kind of expose lessons in our lives that can kind of help us understand what God wants us to know. And then another reason is, and I think we've said this the past couple of weeks, uh, the Francis Schaefer, a theologian, said this, that art is a reflection of God's creativity. It's evidence that we were made in God's image, that God is the creator of all things. Right? There's nothing that exists that, that on this earth or in, in, in space, all of those things. That, nothing that exists that did not come from his imagination. So he's the creator of all of those things. Everything that we can see and taste and smell and touch and all everything, he's the creator. And on top of that, the Bible says that we were created in his image. And as, as image bearers, when we're creative, what we do is we reflect his glory, And so in movies and in books and great stories and art of various kinds, there's a lot of times they mimic or they unintentionally or or intentionally they they mimic or tell these biblical themes and and narratives or they they put on display evidences of God's glory in small and in big ways. And so we're using these movies to kind of help us do that. Another reason, and I haven't said this uh, over the past couple weeks, but I I, want to remind it because somebody reminded me of this a couple weeks ago. that One of the reasons why we're doing this is to kind of help help us have tools for when we do watch movies, when we do watch shows and commercials, when we see things, to like be able to identify and recognize some of the ways, subtle and not so subtle, that our culture and, and media and so, seek to influence our lives. They're telling a story of what life is should be like, and so we need to see it through the lens of the gospel rather than the lens that they want to see it. Because obviously, we're going to talk about it in just a second, we can be kind of shaped into the mold of our culture without even knowing it if we don't recognize that that's happening. And so trying to give ourselves these tools to understand, hey, when I see something on that, that doesn't actually match up to what God's word says. And I want to be able to recognize those things when we watch those movies and things. So back to our passage, Romans chapter 12, it says this, that Paul writes to the church, to the Romans there. And he says in Romans chapter 12, one of these passages that that is Many know, even if you haven't been around the church, you may have heard this, uh, this passage before. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to all the Christians in Rome, right? He says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the songs that we have been able to sing and worship to you, God, that, that are songs that just remind us of your glory and your majesty, of your great name. I thank you for the times of worship that have happened as we've gathered in this room room and and we've just recognized your presence and thanked you for your presence. And I thank you for the times of worship that have happened and the fellowship that happens among brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you say it is good and pleasing for the for the for people of God, for men and women of God to, to gather together, to fellowship and harmony. And so, God, we believe that it's worship that you're honored when we gather together in this in this place. We believe that you're worshiped as we open up your word and as we give later in the services. We pray for one another. God, all of those things, God, we believe it's a part of worshiping and honoring you above all. And I pray for just a moment as we open up your word and work through this this passage, God, that you would speak clearly and that you would move us, move us to conviction in, in places that maybe we've looked to other things to worship rather than you. And you would draw us in that conviction back to yourself and in compassion move us to worshiping you in spirit and in truth as your word tells us to. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. So let's dive in and in the beginning I want to start with the definition. I think this is going to come on the screen. It's definitely on your worship guide there. It's just a and I don't have any fill in the blanks on this one because I just want you to kind of read it and see it and have it for yourself because this is this is a definition of worship and it's kind of a a, a summarization of a m- multiple different definitions. So th- I can't say this is mine but I put it together so it's mine in some ways. It's Anyway, so it's smart guys that said a lot of different things, and I just put it together in one spot. So I'll say it's mine kind of, right? Uh, You can write T out to the side uh, if you want to. It says this, that worship is is our fitting response, or a fitting and continuous response of treasuring God by centering our heart's affection and mind's attention on God and humbly glorifying God for all that He is, all that He's done, and all that we do, everywhere we are. That's a long definition. But it's the fitting and continuous response of treasuring God that we want to kind of start with and kind of work through a little bit of these, these things, of, of this definition and, and I want to say this just kind of as a, as an aside. I, I said this last week, and again, thank you guys for being willing to let uh, let me jump up and be you know third string in in the Franklin campus, and uh, it worked out well. Nobody tackled me. Uh, that was great. Uh, I didn't break whatever. It was that went over like a ton of bricks there, and it goes over again here like a ton of bricks. So anyway, I, thank you for letting me be there and and you know watching on the screen. Uh, I don't love being there and being away from you, but it was it was a good time for just a minute but I'm glad to be here uh, with you guys this morning and I did say this last week there if you're not a Christian if you're kind of in this room you're just kind of checking this out like don't tune out just because we're talking about worship and worship is something that Christians do I would say you're going to get to this in just a second worship is something that we all do that you're all we're all worshiping whether or not you came in here and you sang songs and raised your hands and did that you're we're all worshiping in some way and when we talk about worship, this is a good time for you, if you're not a believer, just to kind of understand a little bit about what, what we talk, what, what Christians mean when we say worship. And, and maybe by God's grace this morning, it'll open your eyes to something that, that really deep down in your heart you're longing for. And hopefully you, you recognize that he's inviting you into a relationship with him. So, uh, so don't tune out this morning. And, and diving in, the first thing that I would say is this, that we were created, worship is what we were created for. That worship is what we were created for. If you watch this movie, uh, National Treasure, when we saw the trailer just a second ago, Nick Cage's character is, is named Benjamin Franklin Gates. Right, and, and the and even in the very beginnings of the movie, and you saw it in the trailer. It's a, his grandfather, kind of, t- he's kind of jokingly knights him as a as a as a treasure hunter, right? That he's going to search out and find this treasure that's greater than whatever. And he basically says that this is your destiny. As a gate, this is your destiny. As a child, as my grandson, his dad doesn't actually approve of it, but as, a, as his grandson, there's a long lineage of, of gates that have gone before them that have all been treasure hunters. And so he said, like, this is what he's destined for, is to be a treasure hunter. I mean, I, I guess that's cool, right? I mean, it takes you to cool places. But the, the, in some ways, in some realities, in some, some small ways, the, the reality is true for us, that this we can't escape our destiny of what we were created for is to worship God ultimately this goes back to the garden of eden in genesis chapter 1 and 2 when god created us in his image to reflect his image and and, and to make much of him in the way that we honor him in, in the lives that we live. And if you jump to revelation at the end of all time, when, when God brings all of all of believers to be with him forever, it says that there's that there in heaven, that we live in ceaseless praise. And I don't think that that means that forever we stand in a worship gathering and we sing songs. I don't think that if we really kind of flesh that out, that that's what that looks like. We're going to talk about heaven in a couple months and just kind of have a series on that. But, but I, But I do think that our lives, it will ceaselessly worship God in heaven. But it does give us this picture of voices and sounds of like roaring thunder and and, and waters roaring. That singing praise to God is this picture in Revelation. In the Westminster Catechism, which is a a catechism, kind of a, a a teaching of of the beliefs of Scripture. It was was written in 1646. It says this, the first question, the first question in the catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the response, the answer to the chief end of man, this is the first question in the whole book, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That the chief end of man, what we were created for is to worship God to honor Him with our life, with every breath that we have. I was, I was taken aback this week as I was reading through Daily Steps and we're working through the Psalms. And we've got just a couple weeks left, but if you haven't jumped in, if you're still like, I don't know where to start and reading the Bible, grab a Daily Steps on the, on the Next Steps table, jump in right where you are, finish out in February and March, and then we've got a new one uh, coming out on the other side of this series as we start and run to Easter. And We'd love for you to jump into that. But this week as we work through Psalms, I was taken aback how many times? Scripture said over and over again, praise the Lord. David's Psalm in Psalm Psalm 113, verses one through five, he says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens Who is like the Lord, our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Praise the Lord over and over in Scripture. There's just this refrain, especially throughout the Psalms, of just praising the Lord, making much of God's name and who he is and all that he's done. And and not just who he is, but who we are in light of him and that who we are And our design is to praise him, that we were created for that, to lift his name up high. The problem is, this is what we were created to do, but in Genesis chapter 3, all of that gets messed up. It tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve rebel against God and they eat the fruit that was forbidden that God had told them not to eat. And, and when they eat this fruit that was forbidden in the Garden of Eden, God is taken from the center of their worship and they put themselves in that place. Their mind's attention and their heart's affection go to themselves and to their passions and their longings, and and, and they become their object of worship. They become their central focus, and it shifts from the one that it was meant to be to something else in their creation, whether it's them as the creation or the other things that God created. Worship shifts from the creator to the creation, and everything is broken because of it. And that is passed down to us. And, and we continue to do the same thing where we wor- worship his sin in these countless different directions. And we worship all of these other little G gods, these countless idols that we set up in hope to finding the fulfillment that we long for in these things. And, and worshiping these things, whether it's people or places or, or positions or, or property and, and, and all of the possessions and all of those things that we think that will satisfy our hearts we give our hearts attention our hearts affection and our minds attention to it but nothing satisfies because we were created to worship him and we spin our wheels in worshiping all these other things when we were created to worship him and worship is this fitting response because it's what we were created to do but it's a fitting response because of who God is and what worship does worship true biblical worship does and this is your second blank there worship worship establishes God in the rightful place as our greatest treasure you see sin distorts that sin distorts and puts everything else as this treasure, and so we have these little these little plastic gold covered uh, covered idols that we put out that we think are worth something, but they but they're worthless, right? They have no value, and so, but we still worship them. We still put all of this energy towards them. But what biblical worship does is it reestablishes God, or it establishes God in the position. It restores him in the position that's rightfully his because he's worthy. Psalms again in Psalm chapter 145 verses 1 through 3, David. It says this, that I will exalt you, my king, God, my king. I will exalt you, God, my king, because that is who he is. He is the king. David, as the king, is saying, God, you're my king. There's In, in, in Israel, among the people of God, there's nobody higher than David when he's writing. God, I will, I will exalt you as my king because even though I sit in the throne here, you're enthroned on high. You are the king. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you, extol your name forever and ever. Great, great, great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. His greatness no one can fathom. No one can fathom. reality of what we're when we, when we hear these words and understand that what that God is in this he establishes him in the right place what worship does is establishes God reestablishes God in that right place as our treasure because he is the only one worthy to be treasured he's the only one worthy to be on the throne His greatness is beyond our imagination, beyond our ability to capture and to fathom it says that he holds the whole world, all of the world, not just our world, but all of the, all of the galaxies that we can't even see. It says that science, scientists will tell you that if you hold a dime up to the sky, that you cover galaxies upon galaxies, stars too numerous for us to count. And God holds that in the palm of his hands is the description that scripture gives us. So just... Zoom in to ourselves in in the palm of his hand, smaller than a dust. And yet he knows us intimately. He's beyond our ability to fathom. His enormity, his greatness, his grandeur. There's nothing in all creation that he does not know intimately. What scientists are still discovering in the depths of the earth, God created and knows intimately how it works. What things that you don't understand about yourself or or your future, God knows intimately. He knows every detail about it, past, present, future, every bit of it. It's beyond our ability to fathom and it's also beyond my ability to understand why we would put anything else on the throne if we really understand who he is, the treasure that he is, that he's worthy. Again, in the, in the movie that Benjamin Gates, this character that Nick Cage plays, literally gives his whole life to pursuing this treasure that's apparently the greatest treasure on the face of the earth, right? Everything is given to it. So his whole life, his friendships have surrounded it, his, his studying has surrounded it, his money has surrounded it. He's even left and, and, and even though his parents and his dad specifically wasn't a, a fan of it, he gave everything to this, to this treasure because he realized how valuable it is. Everything goes to this treasure. And clue after clue, he never gives up because he recognizes this treasure as, as beyond his ability to, to imagine. Spoiler alert, he finds the treasure at the end. And it is a pretty grand treasure. It's pretty awesome. But he orients his whole life around this treasure. Everything's given over to it. And when you find it, you're like, well, that was a pretty good thing to go for. And it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even begin to compare to the treasure that we have in God who, who is beyond our ability to fathom. And so we orient our lives. That's really what he says when in Matthew chapter six, when Jesus says that you can't serve two masters, you'll serve God or money, but you can't serve both. What he's talking about is not that you actually serve them. He says in, it says in Acts that God did not come to be served, but to serve, right? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so we don't, we don't serve God in that way. What we do in serving God is orient our lives around him. And the reality is that we can't orient our lives around two masters. You can't orient your life around your job and God. You can't orient your, jo- your life around friends and God. You can't orient your life around your pleasure and God. You can't do the two, both things. God, it can, you can only orient your life. You can only surround and, or, and, and, and rotate around one thing. It's God and nothing else. And the beautiful picture of worship is that it reestablishes God on the throne and says, you are the only thing that I'm going to orient my life around. In this moment, with the songs that I sing, but in all of life, I'm going to orient my life around you. Because you are the treasure that's worthy. Because you're the only one who's able to give life and breath and everything. And I fix my eyes on you, put you in the rightful place. See, the, the throne that God sits on doesn't have room for two. It's not a love seat. It's a throne where one sits. And as we move to this next point, that, that I want you to hear that, that, that I can't be, I can't be on the throne of my life if I'm on the altar where God's word tells me to be. He is on the throne and I'm where I'm supposed to be when I'm on the altar. And that's what it says, that worship is a fitting and, con- and continuous response and an offering. It's a response, right? It's our, it's our continuous response. It's all of life. It's a fitting response. We've kind of already, and, and it's continuous. It's all of our lives. But it's, it's an offering. It's an offering that we bring before him, that we lay our lives down. Before him. And again, in the movie, it says that, or it's a part of the movie, is that in he finds this other clue, and it leads him to steal the, the Declaration of Independence. And you know, like it wouldn't be a good movie if he didn't steal it. And there's this new love interest and they take him to dad house. And dad's like, know, yeah, whatever, he doesn't ha- he's not happy about it. But his dad gets frustrated when he says he found, uh, uh, he found the thing, he, found, he thought he found the treasure. He's like, no, it's just another clue. And his dad gets frustrated, he says, it's another clue that leads to another clue that leads to another clue. It's always a clue, it's never the treasure. His dad's just mad about the fact that there's just another thing. But in the reality, when we talk about worship, it's not a treasure hunt. It's not a continuing, it's not a continuous chasing after one clue after another. That's maddening, right? That would be maddening. I I would lose it if I just kept finding a clue. What worship is, is a beautiful and continuous response. We don't just worship and then check a box and be like, all right, I did the worship thing. Now I'll move on to the next thing. Like that, we don't do it like the same way we do like school where you finish math and you move on to algebra and you move it on to geometry. And then you just wish that you would have paid attention when you get to be an adult. And you're like, I don't know how to do anything now. Right. There, but it, it, it's not just a checking the box. Right. Worship is a continuous response. But it's not chasing after something that we never get. It's the whole time worshiping the one who's made himself available to us. We get to experience his presence when we worship him. When Jesus talks to the woman on at the well, I'm trying to decide if I need to keep going with this or if I'm going to go a different direction real quick. What God does, what Jesus does for a lot of us is he flips our ideas on the head, on our heads when we talk about worship. He talks to this woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 20. She says to him after this conversation that they have and she realizes that he's a teacher of some sort. And she comes back and says, our our ancestors, because she's a Samaritan. She says, our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you, you, the Jews, claim that you worship. the place of worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus responds, he says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is the Spirit, and worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, what, what God does, what Jesus does with this woman and for all of us is kind of flips our idea of what worship really looks like on its head. Because for her, it was a place, and for the Jews, it was a place. There was a place that you worshiped and this was the place that you worshiped God. And what Jesus was saying is he flips this idea of what worship is. And there's is another words of another pastor. He says this, that he's worship is being significantly de-institutionalized, de-localized, de-ritualized. And the whole thrust has been taken from a ceremony or a season and a place and a form. And it's being shifted to what happens in our hearts. Not just on Sundays, but every day and all the time in all of our lives. Not that it's wrong for us to worship in a place or that we're wrong for it to use the outward forms, but rather it makes the explicit and makes making explicit and central that it's not about, that that's not what makes worship worship. What makes worship worship is what happens in spirit and in truth, with or without the places, with or without the outward forms. It's what happens in our heart. We worship is this continuous response of offering our lives, offering our lives, and laying down our lives on the altar and saying, God, I'm going to lay down everything as a living sacrifice. Jesus tells his disciples that whoever wants to be my disciples, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow after me. In the focal in in our passage in Romans, it says, I urge you therefore, brothers, in view of God's great mercy, all that Christ has done, in view of all that Jesus has done for us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Daily, coming back to what Jesus says, daily taking up our crosses, daily laying down our lives as a a sacrifice, daily as a living sacrifice, offering ourselves holy and pleasing to God because this is a true act of worship. It's not about singing songs on a Sunday. It is that, but that's not all that it is. It's living a life that says, I surrender to you. I submit everything to you because you are worthy of my whole life. Not just Sunday mornings, not just an hour and a half on Sundays and maybe a small group. You're worthy of all of it. If all that he gets is an hour and a half on Sundays, and that's, that's given a little bit for some of us, right? Because maybe you don't show up until halfway through the service. So maybe 30 minutes is all we got. I'm not pointing at anybody specific. But the reality that, man, if that's all we're giving, then God wants way more. He's saying, I want all of it. I want your whole life. When we do that, worship transforms our lives and makes God's will clear. Worship transforms our lives and makes God's will clear. When we transform this path in our passage. Says, "Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." There's other translations that that do a really good job of kind of working through this. Where he says, "This don't be, don't be, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold." It says, "Don't let." And, and don't be fashion or don't, be, don't fashion yourself. Fashion yourself after the world. Stop being molded into the age. And the words that Paul uses here, he, it's kind of in the original language is kind of this understanding grammatically of he's saying, stop being conformed. Stop being molded into the, the patterns of this world. Meaning that, hey, listen, if we're not paying attention, we are being molded into the patterns of this world. And if all we're doing is coming here on Sunday and raising up our hands and and singing a couple songs and listening to to a sermon preached and then maybe hanging out in a small group, we're we're not giving all of our lives to to, to worshiping him. And I promise that in, in large and small ways, ways that we understand and ways that we don't, we're being molded and shaped into the pattern of this world, whether we recognize it or not. When we when we do actually worship Him and, and, and lay our lives down, it, rather than being conformed into the pattern of this world, we're, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind into the likeness of Christ. And in that, we get to see His will clearly. We get to see more clearly what his will is. It says, that then you'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Is. It transforms our mind and our minds being transformed allows us to see God's will more clearly. And, and I would say this, that just in, in, in one specific thing, that just what it tells us about his will, right? That God has not hidden his will from us, but when we worship him, when we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice before him, we begin to see what his will is for us. And again, there's a scene in the movie that that, he find, that, that Gates finds these glasses. And, and if you've seen the movie, it was in there. They're like yellow or like red and blue and he can flip down. And, and when he's looking at the map, there's more things that are there than what's, than what's there when he's looking at it by itself. And anyway, it's pretty interesting. It's like a 3D glasses that see invisible ink and I don't know how these guys way back in the day did that, because it's a true story. This is what happens here is, you know, factually um, awesome. The, um, but, you know, when we, there are times in our worship when, when, when God becomes more clear to us. When, when as we worship, when songs that we sing and, and God becomes more clear and we see his beauty and his majesty for who he is, and, 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 and it becomes his, who he is becomes more clear to us. Maybe it's not in a worship set. Maybe it's in a moment of of just joyful thanksgiving for something in the ways that he's provided for your family or or, or that that reminder of his presence in your lives of of healing or or his just nearness to you in a moment of chaos and and struggle that that you recognize and you see more clearly who he is. And we don't have to have glasses. It's not that he's hiding it from us. What he's saying is, hey, when you worship me, I'm going to let you see me more clearly. And in seeing who I am and seeing who you are in response, you're going to know what my will is for your life. And I love this where, where, where it's written in First Thessalonians chapter five, it says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. For this is God's will. What is God's will? To rejoice always, to pray continually and to give thanks In all circumstances, that sounds a lot like worship. At least two of the three do. So you want to know what God's will is for your life. Rejoicing and giving thanks in all times, in all places, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances. That's God's will for your life. And some of us, what I want us to hear is that you don't, we don't understand why we're so miserable. We don't understand why we have no direction in our lives. And the reality is because we're not worshiping the one that our hearts were designed to fix our attention on and our affection to. We're worshiping all the other things, thinking that if we can just get these settled, then I'll get that settled. And he's saying, no, listen, if you want to know, if you want to find life the way that it was supposed to be lived, if you want to get out of this miserable rut that you're in, if you want to find direction for your life, here it is. Put me at the center. Your heart's affection, your mind's attention. I'm central. I'm the only one that's central. Give thanks, rejoice in all circumstances, or rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. With just a couple minutes left, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Over the past several weeks, I think it's almost two weeks now, I think it's going into two weeks at this point, um, at, a, at a school in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, just north of here, a little small school. There's probably, I don't know, 2,000 students maybe that go to school there, but this is not the first time this has happened at Wilmore at, at Asbury University. There's been what has been deemed a revival that's begun as students at this campus begin by saying, hey, we want to seek the Lord. And so on on. Thursday, Wednesday mornings before chapel, before chapel started when it was quiet in the room at 7.30 in the morning, I heard an interview with a young lady, a young freshman girl who said that they would go in the chapel and they would just beg God to show up. God, just show up. Show up and work in our hearts and move in the lives of the students at, at Asbury University. And God did. Last third, last Wednesday as they worshiped and and I watched the ending, it was nothing special. Like honestly, as as a communicator, I was like, dude kind of fumbled the ending. There wasn't anything extraordinary about it. But they began to sing songs of worship to the Lord and out of that singing, God made his presence really clear. His presence became really clear and for Almost or over two weeks now, those students, many students have stayed in that place. And there are, there's a, two football fields worth of lines and overflow places where people are gathering and celebrating the goodness of God today. People who are driving all over the nation, from all over the nation, just to be there. And listen, you can be cynical about it. I've wrestled with it myself. But there's nothing cynical about God's presence showing up and transforming lives. If I'm cynical about that, then I need to retire from this job. I'm sure that there are people that are not there for good reasons. Whatever. Actually, I know one of my good friends was there, and he did not have good reasons for being there. And he and I need to have a conversation. But the reality is that God has shown up, and repentance is happening, and lives are being transformed. And there are special moments in all of our lives. Maybe you've experienced this before in your own life, special moments in the the Celtic tradition where they call it a thin space, a moment in in, in time or a moment, a place where where God's presence is really, really near. There's a couple places in my life where our our kids go to camp every summer, where our fourth and fifth graders go to camp. There's a, a place called Jonathan Creek Camp and Conference Center. There's something about that place that when I go to Jonathan Creek, God's presence is just near. The, the, the separation between God, the, between the eternal and, the, and the, the right now is just really thin. And God's presence is really clear. And it seems like that's what's happening at Asbury right now. And I'm praying that right now in this moment, and, and not, I'm not asking for God to pour out. If he does, like we, kids got to show up at school here tomorrow, but they'll work that out, right? That's awesome. I'm not anticipating us worshiping for the next two weeks, but I'm praying for, the, for the, the, like, for God's presence to be really, really clear, as we sing and worship to Him. That the space between the eternal, the spiritual, and and the flesh, that it would be really thin, and we would sense God's presence in this room in a real way, in a way that. In years that go by from this moment that when you ride by Riverside Elementary there's this moment you think I met God in a real real way in that place and as we move to another place by God's grace in the next several months that we'll have a spot and God will continue to do that in that place and we'll we'll walk into that and and know on the front end that God is meeting us there but I'm praying that right now in this moment that God meets us in a really unique way, that he opens your eyes to his beauty and his majesty. And if you're not a believer, this is that moment that I know that if you're not a believer in this room, you may be a little nervous right now. What if God does open your eyes? Listen, if he does, it'll be the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. And he invites you into a relationship with And so I pray that he would open our eyes to see him clearly and that we would worship him, not in song, but in spirit and in truth. And it would not end when we close here and pick up chairs, but it would follow us out of this place and continue to transform our lives as we turn our heart's attention and our, mind, our heart's affection and our mind's attention on him and continuously Lay down our lives as a sacrifice. Hear us, God, say. Hear us because we know that you're near. That we throw up our hands and give you our lives, surrender to you we give you our hallelujah our praise the lord and it doesn't seem like much maybe for some of us but it is truly all we've got and we pray that you would receive this offering of praise today and you would be honored by it and god in some small way or maybe in big ways for some of us you would open our eyes to your beauty and your majesty You would capture us so much so that putting anything else on the throne of our lives would seem foolish in comparison. God, you would capture our hearts from the young to the old in this room, from, from middle school and elementary school to senior citizens, God. And we would say we give you everything, no matter what the cost. Use us for your glory, no matter what the cost to the ends of the earth and maybe just even to my neighbors. God, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first when we were so unworthy of love, you loved us first you've loved us best your love you love us always your love endures and it never fails and we pray our confession of love would be evidence evidenced in our lives of obedience to you not just in this moment but god as we exit this place until we gather again Receive our hallelujah, Jesus. It's in your mighty name that we pray,
0: amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills sermon podcast. Share this episode with movie lovers, friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.